This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Sam. My name is Ricardo. And this is the Outer Limit Frequency. As Earth Day has just been this past Thursday, we figured it would be as good a time as any to cover some of the environmentalists in music. This can be something as little as cardboard digipacks instead of plastic CD cases, trying to go about touring in a more eco-friendly way, right up to being actively involved in environmentalism with things like raising money specifically for groups like Greenpeace. Not all of this lot are usually known for this exact thing, but either way, they qualify in some way. And of course, if we are talking about environmentalism in music, our feature artist has to be Gojira. In the early 70s, the rapidly growing environmentalist movement was sending ripples through popular culture, art, film and music. Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi was an earnest but ham-fisted attempt at drawing attention to the damage caused by urbanisation. The Beach Boys were now telling people to stay away from the water because of the pollution. Even Led Zeppelin were curious about what happens when the levee breaks. It is no surprise that most of these artists and songs had deeper roots in American folk music. One of the first of these ecologically-minded folk numbers to cross the divide into popular music was What Have They Done to the Rain? It was originally written by singer Malvina Reynolds in 1962 as part of a project to highlight the dangers of nuclear testing, and it leapt to greater success when it was covered by The Seekers in 64. The rising pop group gave the song's message a bigger platform and a degree of legitimacy in the mainstream. Sometimes all it takes for a message to get through is to put it into a more easily digestible package. Typical. Just a little rain falling all around The grass lifts its head to the heavenly sound Just a little rain, just a little rain What have they done to the rain? Just a little boy standing in the rain The gentle rain
some smoke in its eye. What have they done to the rain? Just a little boy standing in the rain, the gentle rain that falls for years, and the grass is gone, the boy disappears, the rain keeps falling like helpless tears, and what have they done to the You'd think a guy like Tom York would make it very clear when he's a part of some kind of good cause. Because, I mean, just look at the guy. However, Radiohead have not really made it super well known that they try to cut down on emissions while touring. To the point that it's kind of hard to tell exactly how they do this. But it has been reported that they do. And that in particular that they try to make the trip itself more eco-friendly down to where they tour, how they get there and how they go about their stops. Plus, this just means we get to play more Radiohead. So this is Blowout. Oh, I'm 
A lot of artists talk the big talk when it comes to supporting causes, but only a significantly smaller number walk the walk. And say what you will about Neil Young, the man steps up when it comes to sustainability. One of Young's more unusual environmental projects was converting his 1959 Lincoln Continental to run on alternative fuels. And then he wrote an album about it called Fork in the Road. Yes, very clever, Mr. Young. That being said, the car did end up causing a very expensive warehouse fire, but at least he got a Grammy nomination for his troubles. You win some, and you lose some. From Fork in the Road, this is Get Behind the Wheel, which is a cheeky little homage to Get Behind the Mule by his friend Tom Waits. One of the biggest environmental issues facing the world is the long-term impact of single-use plastic. But obviously this isn't a new issue. In fact, it's been festering for years, to the point where it has seeped into the modern zeitgeist. 
Because what if I told you that a band made an album about being stranded on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch over a decade ago? Because gorillas did that on Plastic Beach. Admittedly, there aren't many songs on that record that directly reference the subject matter, because it's tricky to make an upbeat album about such an existentially threatening topic. And perhaps the most insidious thing about Plastic Beach is how easily the ecological themes can fall into the background. Fortunately, a few tracks managed to cut through this cognitive dissonance and attempt to actually address the environmental cause at the heart of the record's concept. Although I would like to point out that Gorillaz never fully explained how they got all those guest musicians onto that island in the first place, such as Mick Jones and Paul Simonon from The Clash, who appear on the album's title track.
given the subject of this episode, it was kind of hard not to include this next song in some way. Because over the past few years, very few voices advocating for a response to climate change have been louder or more present than Greta Thunberg. Now, we're going out of our way to not taint the discussion with our own politics, so let's just say that Thunberg has been both extremely prominent and extremely controversial. So it was kind of a big deal when British rock band The 1975 featured her on a track from their 2019 album. And I'm certainly not going to pretend that The 1975 or anything approaching household names aside from this one instance. Live Aid, Feed the World, This Ain't. But it is yet another cogent example of an artistic medium lending its platform to a voice advocating for change. We are right now in the beginning of a climate and ecological crisis. And we need to call it what it is, an emergency. We must acknowledge that we do not have the situation under control and that we don't have all the solutions yet, unless those solutions mean that we simply stop doing certain things. We must admit that we are losing this battle. We have to acknowledge that the older generations have failed. All political movements in their present form have failed. But Homo sapiens have not yet failed. Yes, we are failing, but there is still time to turn everything around. We can still fix this. We still have everything in our own hands. But unless we recognize the overall failures of our current systems, we most probably don't stand a chance. We are facing a disaster of unspoken sufferings for enormous amounts of people. And now is not the time for speaking politely or focusing on what we can or cannot say. Now is the time to speak clearly. Solving the climate crisis is the greatest and most complex challenge that Homo sapiens have ever faced. The main solution, however, is so simple that even a small child can understand it. We have to stop our emissions of greenhouse gases. And either we do that or we don't. You say that nothing in life is black or white, but that is a lie, a very dangerous lie. Either we prevent a 1.5 degree of warming or we don't. Either we avoid setting off that irreversible chain reaction beyond human control, or we don't. Either we choose to go on as our civilization, or we don't. That is as black or white as it gets. Because there are no grey areas when it comes to survival. Now we all have a choice. 
we can create transformational action that will safeguard the living conditions for future generations. Or we can continue with our business as usual and fail. That is up to you and me. And yes, we need a system change rather than individual change. But you cannot have one without the other. If you look through history, all the big changes in society have been started by people at the grassroots level. People like you and me. So I ask you to please wake up and make the changes required possible. To do your best is no longer good enough. We must all do the seemingly impossible. Today, we use about 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules. Because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change. And it has to start today. So everyone out there, it is now time for civil disobedience. It is time to rebel. And now for our feature artist. Let's get the topic of the show out of the way right at the start. Gojira have contributed to environmentalism in a few ways. Quite often, their lyrics center around things like climate change, being better to the earth in general, and other such environmentalist themes. They also allow Sea Shepherd Conservation Society to set up and run their own merch booths at their gigs, raise quite a lot of money on their own for the group, and as such have even had an interceptor vessel named after the band. There's a bit more as well, but I'm thinking that'll get covered shortly. So now let's get to the beginning of the band. Formed in 1996 by brothers Joe and Mario Duplantier, the band, which would become known as Godzilla, were soon joined by Christian Andrew and Alexander Cornelon to round out the ranks. Right from the start, their more eco-conscious themes would be clear as the entire reason for choosing the name Godzilla came down to the nuclear power threat looming over everyone's heads. Over the next two years, they released two demo albums and toured bars throughout France, but before in 1998, Jean-Michael Labide came in to replace the departing Cornelon. With their lineup that has remained to this day, they soon released two more demo albums, changing their name to Gojira to avoid legal troubles, because Godzilla, and toured on a larger scale, supporting bands such as Cannibal Corpse and Immortal. In 2001, they went into the studio again, this time to record a proper full-length album, Terra Incognita. This album was independently funded and recorded over a period of only 10 days. If we had time here, I'd go more into this album, but we don't, so let's skip ahead. After this album, the band bought an old barn in the middle of a forest and converted it into a studio and rehearsal space, because of course they did, before in 2003 releasing their next album, The Link. Now, I'm not saying Terra Incognita was bad, but The Link was such a ridiculous improvement. Everything that the band would become, for me, started here. The Link was the album that showed exactly what kind of direction Gojira would be heading, for a while at least. This is Embrace the World.
Due to the rather warm reception that the link received, Gojira saw their profile raised as they played at the festival circuit and toured outside of France, further building themselves up and gaining a fan base. They soon started work on their next album, one that they went in and two deciding they wanted to take their time and avoid all outside pressure so they could essentially get the best results possible. So when they emerged from their barn in the woods and released the album From Mars to Sirius, it was no surprise how good this album was. We have covered this before and could have even talked about it when talking concept albums because, yes, concept album. The lyrics tackle environmental causes like climate change and its effect on marine life, and due to the symbolism of Mars being war and Sirius being peace, is about a journey from an internal war to inner peace. I guess as the world is healed, so are we? Okay, it's a little confusing how it's both, but let's just roll with it. So from Mars to Sirius, this is to Sirius. Close up the 
Following this, the band were finally making some noise outside of Europe. The North American market was paying attention following a Kerrang! of all things interview, and they're signing with a US label. And back in Europe, they were a replacement for Mastodon at the Download Festival in 2006, as well as touring with Amon Amarth, Children of Bodom, Trivium, Behemoth, and Machine Head. With their next album, composed over a four-month period, they were influenced by, as they called it, incessant touring, which fueled the rage that they set to pour into it. Where From Mars to Sirius had a war and peace theme, The Way of All Flesh had, as you'd probably assume from the title, a life and death theme. Mostly the death part and how we deal with it. So let's get to the longest song of the episode then, eh? From The Way of All Flesh, this is The Art of Dying.
By this point, it was becoming clear that we would have to wait a while in between albums. Despite the fact that the band made it clear that touring takes its toll, they toured the way of all flesh for pretty much the next three years. In 2011, at the end of this touring, Gojira was signed to Roadrunner Records and soon started work on their next album, L'Enfant Sauvage, which I guess due to Roadrunner was recorded at Spin City Studios in the US instead of in their old barn. Bit of a shame that this part of the band's history was ignored by the label, but that's how it goes, I guess. This was a great album that shows more of a melodic side to the band we had only usually gotten hints of, and they also toured with the Devon Townsend Project in promotion of it, so I guess that tells you a bit about the different direction. However, now that we get to the album, that still puzzles, because while Magma, released in 2016, is a great album and shows that their previous album wasn't a one-off, that they are indeed headed in a more melodic direction, you wouldn't expect Gojira to ever gain two Grammy nominations, especially on one album. The album was nominated for Best Rock Album, and our next song, Silvera, was nominated for Best Metal Performance. Every now and then, the Grammys do something surprising and good.
It's now been almost five years since the release of Magma, and we are finally getting their seventh studio album, Fortitude, next week. Hey, good timing for this episode. This was, of course, caused by COVID, as the album was actually meant to release last year, but it looks like the extra time may have been worth it. It's not like they've been sitting still while they've been unable to tour or even record more material either. In true Gajira nature, they took the time to make it environmental. The song Amazonia from their upcoming album and its video were designed to raise awareness of deforestation. And the band ran a campaign to raise funds for the Brazilian indigenous rights charity Articulation of Indigenous Peoples of Brazil. They have so far raised over $120,000 from selling band memorabilia from bands such as Metallica, Slayer, Slipknot, Sepultura, and of course many more. Gotta love them for that. This is Another World.
and we are out of time but because you're not out of time you can jump onto spotify and listen to another episode i mean we've got a whole lot of them just waiting for you how convenient but since you're tuning in next week uh we will be doing a special look at artists who have inspired entire genres and movements of music most inspirational people including a special feature on cult hero chris goss we will see you then see you then Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.